so glad to have the opportunity to gather. We know we've been the church even uh, during these last six months or so, but it's good to gather all together as one. There's nothing quite like being all together in one place at one time, celebrating, worshiping of the Lord together, is there? And I praise God that we have the opportunity to do that today. We've kind of taken that for granted over the years, have we not? And now we know it's something special, something meaningful to us. And so as we take the Lord's Supper together today, I hope you have these elements, and I hope it will be a meaningful experience for you. Sometimes people say, well, who can take uh, the Lord's Supper? In this place, we practice what's called open communion. That means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, we invite you, if you put your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to partake with us together because we think it's communion. We have this one common union, and that's the fact that we're all sinners. Apart from the grace of God, none of us would have a chance. And yet, because of what He's done for us, and we remember that today, we do have a chance. We have more than a chance. We have the opportunity to flourish, to experience life abundant and eternal. And so we want you, if you've never given your your life to Jesus, to to be a part of that family, part of the kingdom. And so if you're not a believer, this is really not for you yet, but what it represents is, because it's for everybody who would choose to follow Him. So we want you, if you are a believer, to participate with us. And if you're not yet, uh, to refrain, but know that the opportunity is always there for you to participate at some point when you put your faith in Him. So as we think about that, I, I just want to say a word uh, to Terry and to Sherry. He didn't tell you uh, quite a dramatic, as dramatic experience as, as uh, I want to tell you and share with you. We were there. You saw some of that building. But all of that asbestos stuff and all of what's going to get repaired is going to happen because they had a flood. The sprinkler system went off. And, and uh, hey, the insurance is going to cover all of that. So what we were preparing to help them with, God took care of in an even a better way. And so there's like a million-dollar top ceiling on that now. Now the insurance is saying, well, we, we want to make sure we can get all this covered for a million dollars, and it's going to be done for that. We praise God for that. We praise God for good insurance, and we praise God that He knew what He was doing even when we didn't. And that's how life is, is it not? God knows what He's doing even in these days when we don't always understand. In fact, we know a lot of what He's done, and we sometimes forget. That's what the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist is all about. Remembering. We are forgetful people, are we not? This morning, once again, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I forgot my wallet when I was in the line at McDonald's. I did it again this morning. And so I had to leave that, that line. You can, there's some people in here who can bear witness about that. They were behind me and said, where, where are you going in such a hurry? I got to go get my wallet. I forgot. And most of the time, I, ha- I, I forget something. Jennifer can find it for me. I'm so thankful. 
Me and the, are you like that? Your wives you usually know where you, you put stuff when you don't even recognize it. My keys, my glasses. I forget to take my medicine. I'm so old now, I have to put them in one of those little boxes to remember if I took it. Because I do that every day. And I know some of you are as old as I am, and you, you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you, you're going to be there one day, so don't laugh so much. But we forget. We forget more important things too, don't we? We forget what Jesus has done for us. And we don't live every day, every moment in light of the fact that we are forgiven because of the broken body and the precious blood. And that we have a new relationship, a new covenant because of what He's done for us. We were so separated from God because of our sin. And God in His holiness couldn't just overlook it, but He had a plan and He sent His Son to be the payment for our sin and He took our place. And now, because of His blood, there's this whole new agreement. Look in the Bible with me, if you would, in in Acts 2. And we're going to look at at who we are as His people, and then we're going to look at why we are the people we are because of what He's done. So we're looking first at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and then we're going to look next at, at Luke 22, beginning in verse 19, as we prepare for the Lord's table together. In Acts 2, we get this picture of a church that is Spirit-empowered, Spirit-powered to proclaim the gospel of the good news that I just shared with you that Jesus came to take our place. And there's a whole group of people who are following. And, and as we, we see there in Acts 2, what happens is the Spirit of God falls down upon them and they hear the message in their own language, even though they don't know the language that's being spoken, they hear it in their own language. And it's all sort of incredible things that are happening there at Pentecost. And people think that the people who are speaking are drunk because it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter gets up and says, No, they're not drunk. They're empowered by the Spirit of God to tell you what you need to know. And they were so cut to the heart by what Peter proclaimed, that they had crucified Jesus, the one who came to be their Savior, that they cried out, what, what should we do? And in Acts 2.38, Peter tells them, you got to repent. Turn to God. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's still a message we all need to hear, a, a nation that needs to hear. we got to turn from our sins and turn to God. Really. Not in religious devotion, but in personal relationship and trust that God still knows what He is doing even when we don't. And so here we see at the end of this chapter, Luke summarizes all that's going on and the church is as the church should be and that's what we get in Acts 2 beginning with verse 42. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from the New Living Translation and it says, All the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe. That word is really phobos. It's where we get our English word, our phobia. 
a fear. There's an awesome fear that came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's a sweet day in the life of the church. You may be seated as we ask the Lord. Let's just ask Him right now. And He show us some things from this that, as to what we should devote ourselves to and who we should be as, as His people. Father, we do ask the blessing of the reading, the hearing, and the doing of Your Word. Help me, Lord. Help me to proclaim in such a way that hearts are stirred, souls are convicted, and that you, you and you alone change lives. For Father, unless you speak, oh, unless you speak through these moments, I have nothing, nothing at all to say. In your name I pray. Amen. Oh, we got this picture here of this great community of believers. They're growing. It's all inspiring. And they're faithful followers of Jesus. And and I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, especially as a teenager, I had to I had to go to church. I was made to go to church. I was drugged to church by my mother. My single mother, she was strong enough to make sure I was there all the time. I could do anything I wanted to on Saturday night. I had to be in at a certain time, and I had to get up on Sunday morning. I had to. But there came a point in time when she helped me understand that I didn't just have to, I got to. I got to go to church. And I got to be with people who would encourage me and people who would lift me up and people who would come alongside me and people who would help me grow. And then I came to the point where I wanted to be there. Now, there have been moments when I didn't want to get up for church and Jennifer reminds me, hey, you're the pastor, you got to go. But... But for the most part, I want to come to this place because I know this is a place of encouragement where we all gather around, where every place else in the world, we seem to get beat down for following Christ. But in this place, no, we get to encourage one another and get to lift one another up and get to be a part of the fellowship of God. And so what builds this community? There are five things I want you to see from this particular passage. Briefly, we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at... Uh, the Luke, Luke's account of the Last Supper uh, together, just a couple of verses there. The first thing I want you to see as we build communities is it's worship. We devote ourselves to worship to the apostles' teaching, and we worship together. And throughout this passage and throughout the first couple chapters of the book of, of Acts, you see this word, together. Isn't that a sweet word? You know, I, I, I see the signs all around our, our world that said we're in this together and we'll get through this together, but there's something different about the together of the people of God. One day we're going to be called up together in the clouds, <laughs> in 
in 1 Thessalonians 4. That, that's a wonderful picture of what is described there. Many folks have described as the rapture together. That's a sweet word. Just say that person to that person next to you, together. Just say, we're, we're together here. We're to, we know we're together, but together. That's a, just think about that for just a moment. And we come to, together to worship. What's that mean? Well, that means that we make much of God. That we recognize how, how big He really is. And when we make much of Him, then the things around us, the circumstances around us seem to be pretty small. When we recognize that He is the creator of the universe and we can't even begin to grasp how many stars there are in the sky and this is just one galaxy in all of the universe and God created that all with just a spoken word and He holds it all in His hand and we worship that God together. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that? Well, that was all about what Jesus said and what Jesus did and how he loved and how he lived. But most importantly, what they were proclaiming was that he was alive and that we celebrate his death so much and talk about his death so much because his death is what gives us life because he didn't stay dead. The apostles' teaching is devoted and focused on the resurrection from the dead. I've said this many times, but if a guy can whoop death, a guy can come back from the other side of the grave, I'm following that guy to the very end. And that's what we proclaim as we proclaim the Lord's Supper until He comes again. We're proclaiming that He is not dead. He is still alive. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. And I want Him to live within your heart. I know that image still speaks volumes, that He is real, that we can have a relationship with Him personally, and that we as followers of His can worship together. That's what we devote ourselves to. The second thing we devote ourselves to, if you're following along on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline there. We devote ourselves not just uh, to worship, but we devote ourselves to relationships, to fellowship. Now, for us Baptists, sometimes we, we equate fellowships with potluck dinners or food. Food is a part of that, for sure. But the word fellowship is the is the word koinonia. It means a deep, abiding partnership with one another. That we who are many form one body. And we devote ourselves to the body. That means you see another believer, another fellow member of the body, the kingdom, down and discouraged, you can encourage. You can lift up. You can bear one another's burdens. Boy, we need that, don't we? We can pray for one another. You can't do the one another's apart from being together as the body of believers. You can't do the one another solo. The Christian life was never intended to be 
a solo sport, a, a one-person sort of deal. What do you call that? Individual sport, like golf or tennis. It's a team sport. We're in this together. We're in this fellowship because relationships matter. And re- relationships are enhanced when the third thing we devote ourselves to happens. We serve. We serve one another. Through prayer and through meals and through whatever other means we see fit to do, that God lays on our heart to do. And that's what was going on here in the book of Acts. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper. So they had this big agape meal where they ate together. And Paul gets on to the Corinthians about this whole scene. They were more focused on that. and The rich were, were eating lavishly and the poor were barely getting by. But then they added on to this Lord's Supper and they were focused more on the food than they were on the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And we think about what it means in our day to be a part of the fellowship. It's not about us. It's about what we can give. It's not about what's in this for me. It's about what can I do to help. I don't know if you watch the show New Amsterdam, but I love, I've kind of taken on the question. I don't, I don't, this is not an endorsement of the show New Amsterdam. There's a lot of things on there you don't need to see. But one thing that the administrator of this hospital says, don't let your kids watch that show, by the way. The administrator of this hospital, it's in New York, says, how can I help? How can we help? And that's what Christians ought to say to one another. That's what we ought to say to the world. How can we help? How can we serve? Because that's what our Lord did. Jesus says, I came not to be served, and He had every right to demand service himself. But he said, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give myself, to give my life as a ransom for many. So we build community when we serve. That's what's so exciting about what's going on at Destiny Center. They are serving their community. I hope as many people as possible, hope next summer the COVID's gone and all that stuff, and you can go with us and you can see how they are reaching these homeless folks right there in the center of Nevada who have no hope apart from Jesus and apart from the church and apart from their possibility of going to heaven through Jesus and what He's done. They're reaching out. And that's what we do too. And when we think about what it, we devote ourselves to, the fourth thing is this. Really, it's the attitude of all of what we do in serving and the audience of relationships. Relationships are the audience. And then the act is actually the service that we do, the prayer, the meals, or whatever we do. And then, and then it's the attitude. The generosity is the fourth thing I want you to see on your, on your bulletin there. We devote ourselves to generosity. It's a spirit of what I have has been given to me. I've been blessed. So I'm going to be a blessing. That's my time. That's my energy. That's my resources. Whatever God has blessed me with, He hasn't just blessed me with. He's blessed me 
to bless other folks. And we see a lot of that happening all over this place. But, you know, if you really want to live, you really want to experience life to its fullest, the, the folks I know that are living the best are the most generous. You do, right? You've been blessed. And you've been blessed to be a blessing. So as we think of that, we've got to ask ourselves, do we, do we live life with, a, with an open hand or closed fist, trying to hold on to everything we've got? Well, that's how I want to live. I want to live receiving the blessings of God, but also pouring out the blessings of God to other folks. The last thing I want you to see that we devote ourselves to comes from the last part of the last verse we read in verse 47. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's life transformation. People's lives were changed because a group of, of people, believers in Jesus Christ, experienced community together, and people wanted to experience that with them. And at the end of the Sermon of Pentecost, there are 3,000 who were saved, but just another chapter over, the church has already grown to 5,000 people in, in no time at all because people saw this way of life works because it's ordained by God. It's what God wants for all of us, and He wants to change lives. That word saved is so rich. I've asked you to say it before in Greek. It's a it's beautiful word, sozo. Would you say that? Sozo. It's a, I mean, just say it like an Italian. Sozo. You know? It's not Italian. It's Greek. <laughs> but it means to be whole or to be healed or to be saved. To be whole. There is a brokenness in our world, don't you know? That can only be fixed by Jesus Christ. To be healed, there is a sickness that all of us are infected with called sin that can only be forgiven by Jesus Christ. And there is a need for rescue to be saved that all of us need. And only Jesus can provide it. So at that last supper when they were celebrating the Passover, Jesus made himself to be the Passover lamb. And in Luke's gospel, in Luke 22, at the, toward the middle of the meal together, he took some bread in verse 19 in Luke 22. And he gave thanks to God. Then he broke it to pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body, which is broken or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, he didn't ask us to remember how great his preaching and teaching was. He didn't ask us to remember how incredible His power to heal was. He didn't ask us to remember any of the, the miracles that He performed. He, he asked us to remember His death, how He died. 
And why, Dad? Why would we devote ourselves to all those things to build community? Because of what He did for us on the cross. At Last Supper, they gathered together and He was telling them what was going to happen. His body was going to be broken, and it was. Never has anyone so perfect, never was a perfect person until Jesus. But never did the perfect person experience such pain and humiliation like He experienced on the on the way to the cross and then on the cross itself. And why did He do all of that? For you. And for me. So we would remember. We forgetful people would remember how much He loves us. Why He came in the first place. And how He wants to have a personal connection, relationship with each of us so that we can be reconnected to God the Father through His blood. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in between the time he broke that bread, they probably partook of the Passover lamb in a different sort of way than they had ever partaken of it before because Jesus, we have no record of them partaking of that Passover lamb because the picture we see is that Jesus becomes that lamb himself. Remember in the Old Testament, the Passover lamb was the one who rescued the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. The, the angel of death passed over them when the blood of the lamb was spilt on their their doorpost, and Jesus presents Himself as the one who rescues us from the bondage of sin. And after He they had partaken of that lamb, He had made that point. He says in verse 20, after supper He took another cup of wine and said, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed, ratified with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. An agreement, a covenant. The Old Testament agreement was based on the law on what people did. The New Testament covenant, the new covenant, is based on what Jesus has done for us. The agreement goes something like this. He gets our sin. He took our place. And we get His righteousness. We get His forgiveness. We get His cleansing. You're never going to get a better deal than that. You get to partake today and remember that. Preparation for that, would you just spend a moment examining yourself? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and after they sing a song of remembrance about this, we're going to partake together. But until the end, let's, let's pray together and just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to reveal to us some things maybe we've done this week. 
Maybe some things we've neglected to do that He's called us to do. Would you think about the things you've said? Maybe that hurt people that you love. Think about the things you've thought. The attitudes that you've had. That you know don't line up with God. His will and His way. Right now, would you ask for cleansing for those things? Would you claim the blood of Jesus, if you're a believer in Him, to cleanse you of all that sin? That's why He wants us to remember. He wants us to remember what's available to us as His followers. He doesn't want us to participate in those things over and over and over again. He wants us to grow and become more like Him, but He also knows that we fall short. And we need to remember what's been done for us once and for all on the cross. Forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, through His broken body. Father, we come confessing our sin. Confessing that we pass judgment on folks. Needlessly, because we deserve judgment ourselves. Confessing that we have not solely been about your business, that we've not leveraged our time and energy and resources for your kingdom. We need forgiveness, Father. Remind us of how sweet community, true community in your body can be. Help us, Lord to live faithful lives devoted to you and remembering in your holy name we pray amen would you listen maybe sing along if you'd like
Take your elements, and remember, we take those elements. That night he was betrayed. He took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. And after he presented himself as the Passover lamb, the end of the meal, he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of many to establish the new covenant. Let's remember that new covenant. He said, as often as you do this, you proclaim... His death till He comes again. And that's what we do. We proclaim to the world and remind ourselves that He paid it all. So as we stand and sing a hymn, closing hymn of invitation, I'd invite you. If you didn't partake of the Lord's Supper because you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, today could be the day. If you do have a real relationship with Him and need Him, a place to worship and serve and establish and build community. I invite you to come and join and be a part of this church. We're not perfect, but we serve the God who is. And we look forward to the impossible things He can do through us. So you respond as God leads you right now as we sing, Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior sing my Weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, pray here all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He
dinero. 